The New Testament reading this morning is from Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, and it's in reference to God's promise to Abraham. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Thanks be to God. Today, we come to the third installment of our series, The Big Picture. We are following the outline of our confirmation class as we trace the arc of the story of God and humankind that is given to us in the scriptures, both old and new. Two weeks ago, we went back to the beginning, to the gates of dawn, when the one who dwells beyond those gates, beyond the, anything we can think or imagine, when that one created the world in beauty and blessed it. Blessing, we saw, is God's original program. Last week, we left the story with Adam and Eve hiding from God in the garden, ashamed and blaming. And so it began, the flight of humanity from the everlasting arms of God, from the company of God, so that we have become separated from our soul's home, heading off into a far country, as one of Jesus' parables put it, far from our truest selves, and from one another. We are left with a deep longing for that connection, that community, that kinship that we knew in our beginnings. There is this distance, this separation, this alienation, as one theologian puts it, it carries on through the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve from one generation to another. Genesis tells us that very soon after we leave Adam and Eve at the edge of the garden, their son Cain murders their son Abel. And then we hear that angels bear the sons of men, give birth to the sons of men, whatever that means, but it isn't good. And then Noah's sons, the ones meant to be the fresh start for humankind after the flood, end up shaming and ashamed of their father. Eventually, humankind tries to become gods themselves by building a tower that reaches to the heavens. By the end of the first 11 chapters of the entire Bible, there is a cancer that has metastasized throughout the whole creation, and we are left with a deep longing for something we once had, but have no more. Now what? 
What is the next move of the one who dwells beyond the gates of dawn? Let us hear what happens next. Few short verses from the 12th chapter of Genesis. This follows immediately after the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall find blessing. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. This is an ancient word. And we are modern people. Grant that your Holy Spirit will move between word and people in human hearts and minds, in my words. Just move and hover and brood and do what you do. Speak. Let us hear your voice as the ancient fathers and mothers heard it. Amen. So, this is the Holy One's next move. Instead of raining down fire and ice like some Roman god from Mount Olympus, the one who dwells beyond the gates of dawn starts talking with a 75-year-old Mesopotamian man from a place called Ur and makes a deal with him. I will bless you, the voice, capital V. We have no other name for this one yet. The voice promises the creature. Your descendants shall number the stars, the voice will say in chapter 17 with a renewal of this covenant. I will bless you so that through you all the peoples of the earth will find blessing. Who could have seen this twist in the plot coming? After all the wretched stuff we read about in the first 11 chapters, after all that humanity has done, this is an extraordinary, generous, and gracious deal. God is sticking with the original program. But now God chooses a different way to carry it out. The story now shifts from the cosmic stage of the universe 
to a specific locale to be found on a map. God's focus funnels down from all of humankind to one man and one woman, Abram and Sarah, older, barren, and pretty quickly in the saga we will see that these two are not perfect people. They have feet of clay. Not too long after God calls them and makes the promise to them, Abram and Sarah will deceive a stranger who has given them shelter and have a falling out with this brother-in-law who goes with them. Abram and Sarai are not perfect, but they are chosen. Chosen not because of their uniqueness, but because they say yes. They hear the voice of God and respond. They do not flee from God or hide. They follow as best they can, leaving all they know behind and heading out into the unknown. The destination hasn't even been told to them in a strange and dangerous world. It is staggering, this trust they put in a God whose name they do not yet know, staggering that they don't know the destination to which this voice calls them, They have not met God on a mountain in smoke and fire. They have not seen miracles and majesty, just this voice. And yet, they go. And because they do, the story of humankind does not end in alienation and sin. Instead, a saga of promise and blessing begins here. No wonder Paul points to Abraham, by that time his name is Abraham, centuries later in his letter to the Romans as an example of faith. The saga of these covenant people and their descendants, who will be the people of Israel, is the stuff, the content, the substance of the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, are one long family story. The accounts of the ancestors who walked with God. It involves villains and heroes, lovers and liars. It winds through prosperity and famine into foreign lands and Pharaoh's halls, through slavery, across the desert, into freedom, a land of milk and honey. The saga of this chosen people is not always pretty. It involves deception, idolatry, fraud, trickery, war, sexism, racial hatred, and abuse, tenderness, and piety, and sacrifice. It's got it all. Everything we look around in our world today and see can be found in the saga of the covenant people. It is all terribly familiar. It's as though God has led our ancestors to create a mirror for us that we can hold up and see ourselves. Along the way, the voice draws close to the ones who follow and tells them the divine name, reveals it. 
Yahweh, the scripture will say, playing with the Hebrew, Jehovah. But at its core, this word means, I am who I am. God reveals the name because all God wants to do is overcome this chasm, this separation that has appeared between himself and these creatures. The people of Israel will forget their part of the deal. They will rebel and quarrel and forget Yahweh, and they will grow farther from themselves. Nevertheless, God persists. God will raise up Moses and give the Ten Commandments and the Torah to order their life together, to give them some help in living together in harmony and peace. But the people will ignore the laws and the separation will continue. Nevertheless, God persists. God will send priests to put things right and kings to lead the way because all God wants is to close the distance between them. But the priests will abuse their power and the kings will become wolves growing fat and flaccid, devouring the sheep they are sent to protect. Nevertheless, God persists. Yahweh will send prophets to warn the people and call them back because God wants so much to show them the way back home to themselves, to him. But the chosen people will ignore these messages, kill the messengers. They will remain far off from their truest selves and from God, but running through every chapter, every verse of this saga of God and humankind, there is a golden thread, a silken thread that does not break, and it binds the whole story together. One incandescent truth that drives the plot and the people and the purpose. All God wants is to bless, not curse. Bless all the peoples of the earth, not just a select few. To restore that original community, kinship. And despite all the muck and mire that we humans pile up, despite the distance we put between us, nevertheless, say it with me, God persists. Persists in reaching out, persists in blessing. It is all God has ever wanted to do. I often hear people refer to the God of the Old Testament as a harsh God, a vindictive God, as though the God of the New Testament were a different God. And it is true that there are passages in the Hebrew Scripture that give us pause and, and need some pondering and discussing and even at times some setting aside to, to work on for years. But taken as a whole, the Hebrew Scriptures are the account of the God who does not give up on people. The God who keeps covenant makes promises and does not forget them, even when we do. 
Yahweh is always the God who dreams of returning us to ourselves so that we can enjoy the kinship with one another and with him that we knew in our beginnings and which in our deepest selves we still long for. In Genesis 12, <clears throat> a divine program is set in motion, planted like a radioactive capsule in the cancerous mess that human beings have made of this world, a capsule with a radioactive potency that can counter the toxic effects of sin. It is the potency of divine blessing. But the divine plan requires something of people. It requires a response. If we are to find blessing, there must be people who, like Abraham and Sarah, say yes to God, however imperfect we may be. People who put their trust in God and on clay feet go. In order for God's dream of kinship to become real for us, we must understand that God has chosen us not to be perfect. You never will be. I never will be. So let's stop trying. But we must understand that God has chosen us not to be special, but to be sent, sent into the world beyond what is familiar, what is secure, what is comfortable, sent even into the unknown to be a touchstone through which God can bless creation. How are you? How am I doing with that? Is God blessing people through you? Is kinship being restored in, in some way through you? The only way we will overcome and experience again the original kinship for which we long is to say yes to the voice that calls us to go. Go have the conversation that we do not know how to start. Go to the place we would rather avoid. Go to the margins of society and let our hearts be altered. Go join efforts to make peace among enemies. Go join Greta Thunberg, that remarkable teenage campaigner who seeks to restore creation. Go set ourselves to some task that God has put before us. Go. Leave the familiarity of friends and family and the circles that we have created around ourselves and expand them, widen our circle of care, and set out upon the journey to which this voice calls us because the place to which God sends us 
whether it be on another continent or across our living room, is the very place that we will find blessing and in turn become a blessing to others. You know this is true. We have seen it again and again in the ones who say yes to God and go where God sends them. We have seen it in Father Greg Boyle. Some of you have come to know him as we've talked about him as G-Dog. That's the name that the gang members in L.A. give to him. He's the Jesuit priest who heard God's voice say go, and he did. And he landed as an idealist young Jesuit in a gang-heavy neighborhood in L.A. three decades ago. Now he heads Homeboy Industries, which employs former gang members in a whole constellation of businesses, from screen printing to a farmer's market to a bakery. An op-ed piece in the LA Times said of Homeboy Industries, how much bleaker and meaner would LA be without it? In an interview with Krista Tippett on NPR's On Being, Father Greg says, service is not an end in itself, but a beginning towards finding real kinship with others. He refers to a great child psychologist, Alice Miller, who talked about how we are all called to be enlightened witnesses, people who, through kindness and tenderness and focused attention of love, return people to themselves. And in the process, she says, you're returned to yourself. And then he tells one of his stories to illustrate what he's talking about. He says, like, I have a homie named Louie. Homie is the name that he has for these folks that he meets through the gangs. I have a homie named Louie who's just turned 18, and he's kind of a difficult kid. He's exasperating, and he's whiny. And he works for me, although work may be too strong a verb. But homies lately have asked me for blessings, which is odd, he says. It's in the last three years that's happened. They, they never, he says, they always ask me on the street or in my office. And they never say, Father, may I have a blessing? They always say, hey, G, give me a bless, yeah? And they always say it in the same way, he says. So this kid, Louie, I'm talking to him, and he's complaining about something. And finally, at the end of it, he says, hey, G, give me a bless, yeah? I said, sure. So he comes around to my side of the desk, and he knows the drill. He bows his head, and I put my hands on his shoulders. Well, his birthday had been two days before, so it gave me an opportunity to say something to him. And I said, you know, Louie, I'm proud to know you. And my life is richer because you came into it. When you were born, the world became a better place. 
and I'm proud to call you my son, even though, and he breaks off and says, I don't know why I decided to add this part, at times you can be a real huge pain in the neck. You can insert a different potty part there. And Louis looks up, and he smiles, and he says, the feeling's mutual, G. And suddenly, Father Greg says, suddenly there is this kinship so quickly. They are laughing. They are rolling on the floor laughing, he says. And in that moment, I'm not this service delivery system. Maybe I return him to himself. But there is no doubt that he has returned me to myself. Original kinship. That is what the divine program set in motion in Genesis 12 looks like. Not some service delivery system, but the thing we lost in our beginnings and have been searching for ever since. Go, just go, wherever the voice sends you, so that through you, people of the earth can be blessed and some bit of kinship can be restored. Go so that you can know God's hand on your shoulders and receive a blessing from God yourself. It is all that you have been longing for all your life. And it is all all God has ever wanted to give. Amen.